0: Is it enough? How can I be content when it's never enough? I wonder if you've noticed, but our world of advertising makes its money on your discontentedness. That's how it works. Advertisers know that they can make you feel like you don't have enough. And this whole industry is built on this. It's not new enough, it's not fast enough, it's not fancy enough, which means, I translate that to me, I'm not new enough because I don't have it. I'm not fast enough because I don't run with it. I'm not fancy enough or cool enough because I don't wear it. We're already struggling to be content as it is. We're already struggling with our money and our lifestyles and our relationships. And discontentedness, friends, is crushing us. And we can't bear the weight of this. Discontentedness disorientates our life. It disorders us. It frustrates us. It makes us more angry. It makes us bitter. And as image bearers of God, who we know gives us good gifts, discontentedness, I think, in the end, dehumanizes us. We're not content. Now, our society, we guess, we look at our society and say, of course, that's, that's, that's our neighbors, that's our friends. It's, we assume they're discontent. But you've got to ask the question, why is this written in the Bible to Christians? Why is it written to the church? Why is this written to me? Not just to you, but to me. Why do I need this? Because you know if discontentedness affects Christians, there's a problem. Now, why would we want to be content? Why is this something we want? Uh, I think if you follow social media there is also an industry out there, um, be it minimalism or whatever it is that seeks to be content with what we have. Why do people want to be content? Why does society want to be content? Why is that a, something that we seem to want? We want it because we suspect that discontentedness sucks our joy. Like we look at discontentedness, we see it perhaps sometimes in the mirror, I see it in myself And it sucks our joy. We see it in our society at large, and we see that it's just not happy. And it's never satisfied. It sucks our joy. And our society has a deep hunger for joy. Not the cheap stuff, although we go to the cheap stuff, don't we? We've got a deep hunger for joy. We want the long-lasting, life-changing stuff. Where do we get it? Last week, we looked in Philippians, and we saw asked the question, "'Are you anxious?' Look, if if Christians can be anxious, it's possible, isn't it, friends, we're also discontent. Which means we need this right now. Philippians 4 verse 10, read it with me. I'll read it out loud. You read along with your eyes and let it soak into your heart. Philippians 4 verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity. When Paul writes this, do you notice what he says in verse 11? He says, I can be content in whatever situation. See, here's what happens with discontentedness. In your own discontentedness, in mine, we say, but Paul, you don't understand me. Or church, you don't understand me. Or Russ, you don't understand me. I'm allowed to be discontent because I don't have what you have. We make excuses, we justify our discontentedness. And Paul says, just a minute, just a minute, friends, I'm in prison. When I write this, we heard in the kids' talk from that book, Paul's in prison with Silas. And they're not groaning, complaining, and grumbling. They're singing like we sang. That beautiful song is heard. And the context of this, of course, as he writes in prison, is in verse 10, because he, he turns the subject to well, they've sent with Epaphroditus a gift for Paul, and Paul's thankful. He is thankful for the gift. And he says in verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need. In other words, he's not saying, you know, I didn't need it. I, I'm thankful for the gift. But Paul is taking what is their gift. He's taking his moment in prison and he's saying, okay, look at me, Philippi. Look at me, church. I want to teach you something. Paul the pastor is going to take his own situation and shepherd them through discontentedness. And he says in verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. What does it take to make you discontent? What does it take to make you discontent? What situation do you face that makes you discontent? Look, I suspect if you're like me, it's not much. It's not much for me. It doesn't take much for me to feel the tug of discontentedness pull at my heart. It doesn't take much for me to feel like I'm unsatisfied. What would it be for Paul? Paul is not someone who said, you know what, I'm just, I've planted some churches, I've pastored some people, what's left me to do? Get into prison, I think. Paul had plans, he writes to the Romans in the letter to the Romans, he wanted to go to Spain with the gospel, never gets there. Paul ends up in prison. His whole ambition for planting churches is stopped in its tracks. He can't even get out to speak the gospel to people. All he's got left is pen and paper and the Holy Spirit breathing this into being. And so as he writes this, he takes this situation that he's in to show the church how to respond to adversity and how to respond to the world's advertising. How to respond by having your heart content in Christ. Here's the big idea. Is Christ enough? Is he enough? In whatever situation you're in, is Christ enough? Can we think of a few situations you might be in? What about your money situation? Next week we're going to look at partnership and the gospel. And... And how to view money through Christ, through the lens of the gospel. But just for today, when it comes to your money situation, I think it's when we have abundance, we need to preach this to our hearts all the more. When we're materially wealthy, we really need to preach this to our hearts. Why? Because our hearts easily tend to rest in our security, in our money. We feel safer with it. But our money, our abundance of wealth can actually be lost in this world in a moment. And the measure of contentedness in Christ is measured not in your bank balance, but it's actually measured in your giving. Your cheerful generosity measures your contentedness in Christ, because if you're content in Christ, you can just cheerfully give to others in whatever circumstance it is. For Christ is enough. What about your work situation? We study your work, and the reason for work is this we've done a sermon on work. The reason for work is to love your neighbour. That's whatever work you do, by the way. You're a school teacher, you love your neighbour by teaching children and teaching and caring for parents as you teach children. If you are in recycling or waste, Removal? You love your neighbour because your neighbour really does not want that piling up. If you work in accounting, finance, medical, whatever it is, every single one of our jobs, from the IT professional right through to the volunteer is loving your neighbour. Do you realise loving your neighbour at work is not just paid work, your volunteer work is loving your neighbour. When you do the dishes at home, you are loving your neighbour. You change your nappy, you love your neighbour. Every work you do is loving your neighbour. But what do we do with work? Our sin gets work and, no, 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 no. My work is not loving my neighbour. What we do with work is we change it into something else. We say, I do work to get money and a head or people's praise. Why do we overwork? Why are Australians the biggest workaholics by some measures in the world sometimes? Why? Because we work to please people. We want their praise. We want their recognition. We want the status. We want, oh, look at that person. Look what they've achieved. We so easily turn something into something else it shouldn't be because we are just not content to love our neighbour. But Christ is enough. What about our relationship situation? Friends, your elders know that we're in a variety of relationship situations. Relationships can be a great joy; they're a gift of God, but they can also be a place of great hardship. Whatever relationship that is, for us, I think it starts with being content with who you are. In many ways, yes, there's a discontent and contentiness about your sin, but just we often compare ourselves to one another, or we compete with who is the better friend. Who is the special friend, the best friend, whatever circle we're in. Marriage is a gift. And marriage can be a real source of discontentedness for some people. Singleness is a gift, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And yet that, of course, can be a really difficult place of finding contentedness in being single. For couples, we look at one another. Does he have blemishes? Yes. Does she have blemishes? Yes. We struggle to be content with one another. For parents, parenting is this place of... It's become an industry of books and expectations and levels you've got to level up and be at and then post about it on social media. And then parent... Look, I, I talk to so many parents, and I think parents struggle with... They're parenting, they're parenting not just to parent their kids, but they're parenting to show everyone else, I can do this. They're parenting by performance, not by grace. And we try and get content in proving ourselves all the time. I'm smarter, I've got the right thing to say, I've done the right thing, I was good enough for you. But Christ is enough isn't he? What about our church? It's possible we can be not content with church. Look, there are such things as unhealthy churches. You look throughout the scriptures, there's this phrase continually used in the New Testament about sound doctrine. The word for sound can be translated as healthy. Healthy doctrine equals healthy church. We've done a series on this. There can be unhealthy churches. We don't want to be that. Let's pray we're not. But there's lots of healthy churches, and I think one of the things that happens with Christians and church is that we've imbibed a consumer culture from the world. And so we treat church like it's going to the shops. So we don't see community as important and pursue community and relationships But we go to church and instead of looking at one another with love and how can I love them, we look at churches, what did I get and it's not good enough and this is not good enough and that's not good enough, it's never quite good enough, I kind of grumble along and and stay, but we never think, how do I serve and love others? We treat it like going to the shops, church becomes consumer church rather than contribute to church. So consumer church looks like this, going to the shops, we go when we can, we take what we want and we complain when it's not on the shelf. We are the generation that invented STBO. Yeah, everyone's looking at STBO, what's that? We're the generation that invented subject to a better offer. We invented it. Our generation invented the idea of subject to a better offer. If I've got a better offer, I'll take that thanks. So we get interested in things on Facebook, or interested in church, but if it's a better offer somehow comes up, I'll take it. Because we're just discontent. We're unhappy with normal rhythm, routine. But is Christ enough? Christ is enough, friends. Our social situation... Is a situation we're often not content with. Our friendships. I've heard people say in front of their friends who've loved them, who've served them, I've heard people say, I've got no friends around here. Now we're set in a galaxy far away, so I don't think, oh, we're set around here. No, I've seen it in social circles I'm part of, in places far away, I've seen people say that in front of their friends. Makes them feel great, doesn't it? Why do they say it is the heart question though? They said it because they're incredibly discontent. But Christ is enough. We don't have friends with people to get something out of them. We're friends with them to love them. Paul says, Philippians 4.11, For I have learned in whatever situation to be content. God is speaking through that To you, his people. Look, friends, if the Philippi Church if Reforming Church can be a church of people that could be anxious, is it possible that we could also be discontent? We get anxious about anything, but we can also get discontent about anything. And here's the great irony of our part of the world living in the West, living in Australia I want you to notice this. What's the difference between the developing world and the Western world? There's lots of differences, aren't there? I was born in the developing world. I was born in Zambia. Grew up there for the first few years of my life. Been back there, caught up with friends, and I've noticed a few differences. But here's one I really did notice. Yes, there's still sinners in Zambia. Yes, my friends there have still got issues perhaps with discontentedness. But here's what I notice. We in the West, we in Australia, are the wealthiest, most affluent, comfortable generation in the history of this planet. And yet we are the most discontented of the world. You've got to ask why. Our world of advertising makes money on it. Do you notice, what what makes news at Christmas time in Australia? What's on the news at Christmas time? Constantly on the news at Christmas time. You know what it is? Consumer spending is up this year or down joy to the world the money has come yet Paul says here he says it twice in fact there's a a fourfold pattern here he says I've learned at the start of the text then I know I know and then I've learned he says I've learned and the second time he says he says this I have learned the secret of becoming content look at verse 12 Verse 12, for I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, need. Our world longs for this secret. What's the secret? Well, contentment is a secret because it's not Instagrammably obvious, Paul knows this contentment because he has. How do you learn it? You experience it. You have to live through it. We don't come into the world content. We're not designed um, to be discontent. We're in fact designed by God to be content in community with him. But sin derails that. We're born into a world of sin. We're a reformed church. We believe that God is all glorious. We are totally depraved as sinners and we can only only expect to get all grace from him and then he gets all the glory, right? And I have coffee with people that disagree with that. No, 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 people are naturally good and you know, children are naturally good. what let me point out something. In all the eight years that we've had children, never once did I have to teach them how to sin. Never once did I have to say, okay, kids, Knox, Wesley, Chloe, what I want you to do is I want to teach you a few things. This is how to rebel. This is how to be uh, ignoring someone. This is how to talk back. This is how to steal. This is how to covet something. This is how to be discontent. What you need to do is to look at other people and look at their stuff and look at the world and go, I'm really not happy. That's, you don't have to teach them how to sin. You don't have to teach kids how to be discontent. In fact, it annoys parents the way more, 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 more but adults do that in more sophisticated ways. Contentment, therefore, has to be learned, experienced, practiced, because our hearts are never satisfied. And what do we need to do, friends? Hold on to him who satisfies. Now, isn't it weird that Paul says, he says, I've learned the secret of being content." When he abounds, when he has plenty, because what do we do with that? We go, nah, nah, nah. When I abound, I don't learn the secret of being content. But why would he be content? Why would he need to learn contentment when there's plenty? Because when we have plenty, does that make us content? No, it doesn't. That's the problem with plenty. Plenty doesn't mean... if If your circumstances change and you get more, does that mean you go, well, then I'll be content? It doesn't work that way doesn't work that way at all. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a labourer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will never let him sleep. Fake contentment is revealed by having plenty. You get more, you're not content, it was fake. See this? Being content is not circumstantial. It's not dependent on how things are going for you. It's not dependent on how things are going around you. Contentment doesn't come from within ourselves. It comes from outside of ourselves, like our righteousness, which is alien to us, it's foreign to us. The same with contentment. It doesn't come from me, it comes from Christ. By his spirit working deep into our hearts and renewing and turning the things upside down that we've believed upon. If I just had more, I'd be happy. The Holy Spirit comes in and says, let's rearrange the furniture of your belief system here. That is not true. Contentment doesn't mean also, I don't care. Contentment is not, I don't care. That's not contentment, that's just you not caring which is also a sophisticated way adults say, I really do care, that's why I'm getting angry about it, but let me get angry to impress upon you, I don't care, but I actually do. People can see through that, so can the Lord, by the way. And look at this, this is not Paul speaking from his luxury manor on the seaside of Spain, having planted churches all the way to the edge of continental Europe, This is not Paul taking selfies from prison showing his minimalistic lifestyle is working out so well for him because all he's got is, well, the prison floor and he's got rid of all his furniture and now he's feeling like he wants to Instagram that and hashtag minimalism. This is not Paul showing you how wonderful his life is. He's in prison. I confess I've never been in a prison. Sometimes I wonder, would experiences like that help me to complain less about the other things in my life? We need contentment in Christ. Contentment will still mean we experience anxieties and afflictions, Paul does. But it means he can experience those things with contentment in Christ. If Paul wanted to complain about things in his life, he says, I've got people that are hunting me down. Like there's a, there's a price on my head. I've got people slandering me who were friends. I've got people complaining about me who are the church. I've got people who are just happy that I'm in prison. Isn't that nice? There's other preachers out there. Just, they call themselves Christians. They're happy I'm here because that, that gets to elevate their platform. Paul has all the reasons in the world. He knows narcissism. He knows the issues of slander and gossip. He knows toxic people. He knows the problems you face. He knows not having enough money. He knows not sure where he's got enough food. He knows these things. And he says, Christ is enough. It's possible we could too, isn't it? Because Jesus changes everything, verse 13. Jesus does change everything. I can do all things, he writes in verse 13, through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now verse 13 might be... The most misquoted Bible verse going around sometimes appears on coffee cups and plaques and memes and wherever. Why is it misquoted? Look at verse 13. People get this verse and they use it to justify dreams of I will study this, I will have this career, I will have this relationships, I will do whatever I want. Because Jesus is going to strengthen me. He's going to give it to me. That's how it's used. I'm going to be an astronaut. And I'm afraid of heights, by the way. I'm going to be an astronaut because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Is that what that verse says? Have another look. Look at your coffee cup when you get home. Look at the Instagram meme. Is that what that verse says? Have a look. It's not what it says. It's not a delusional, I'll do whatever I want and God's going to make it work out well. It's not that. It is when you have nothing, Christ is enough. He strengthens you. Jesus has already shown this, hasn't he? That you can be content in all things because Christ strengthens you. Jesus said this, when Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, he says to his disciples, um, all authority has been given to me. All of it. Heaven and earth, all authority, Jesus. King of the universe. And Jesus is saying to us, there is no experience of life you can have, that I could have, that is outside, that is high or lower, than Christ being sovereign over it, and he doesn't care for you. There is not a single experience of life that you could have, abundance or lowliness that Christ is not in control of and doesn't care. He is in control and he does care. Now we don't learn from having every experience in life, we learn by being in Christ in every experience of life. Yes, friends, there are things in this world that are necessary to exist. Yes, there are things in this world that are nice. They're nice to have. It's nice to have clothes. On winter's day, it's nice to have the ability to have a shirt and a jumper. Two layers. Maybe three even, if you're a cold fish like me. Yet, nothing in this world satisfies us to the core of who we are than knowing God as friend. Here's a diagnostic question for you. When it comes to your contentedness, think about all that we, we talk about a threefold thing here that kind of summarises everything that God gives us, right? We've done series on this. Everything God that comes from God's hand, our time is the only resource you have that is constantly diminishing. So our time. Our talents, the abilities you have, the ability for a tradesman to do miracles with two bits of wood still astounds me. The fact that I'm standing currently on a stage that I would have no idea myself how to construct. Our talents are all from God. And then our treasure. See, we think in the West, I worked hard for that, that's my money. And God says, well, the breath that you just said that out loud, that was my breath to give to you. The treasure is mine too. It's all God's. Our time, talents and treasure is all from God's hand and he can take it in a moment. But he gives it graciously, doesn't he? Well, think on this. Are you content enough in Christ that you could give those things away? Are you content enough in Christ that you could just give people your time? I know there are introverts and extroverts. I happen to be an introvert. Don't believe me, it's true. But... That's why I count the cost of how do I love my neighbour by giving them my time. When I would rather be reading books all day, all week, in my study of books, I actually intentionally spend days in my week, coffee here, coffee there, coffee everywhere, until it's, well, we're now moving on to tea. And it's probably Milo in the evenings. Giving your time to people. Your talents. God gives us gifts not for us to go, hey, look at me, it's pretty impressive, don't you think? No, to to serve others with love. And our treasure, what is money for? Like our work is to love our neighbour, money is actually to love our neighbour. So the question is this, are you content enough in Christ, you could give it all away? Is Christ enough for you? You don't learn contentedness by having life go easy, by the way. You don't learn contentedness just by, if if life was just easy for me, if I could escape to Byron Bay and live the Instagram influencer life, that's a real thing, by the way, if I could do that, life would be easy for me. Just live on the beach and it's easy. Well, you actually won't grow in contentedness. You'll actually grow more and more unhappy. It's why they're increasingly seeking to be an influencer. Because they're never happy with their status, the reputation in front of people. That's why they seek to have more and obsess about more and be more beautiful. Even as they age and and age takes their beauty away on a moment-by-moment basis, we're never happy, we're never content. You only get content by learning it in Christ. Contentment doesn't come naturally to us, it's learned. Contentment doesn't come instantly to us, by the way. It's a learned secret. You're not going to come away from this sermon or the study just this week that's going to be online. You're not going to come away from that, that group guide and go, well, I didn't learn anything here. You know? Either God's faulty or this church is faulty, Russ is faulty, that's probably true, But but therefore it's everything else. Could the possibility be that it's you? Is it possible? Is it entirely possible it may be? The discontentedness you feel with other people is actually your heart's issue? I'm just just suggesting a possibility because the scriptures suggest it strongly here. Because God is, well, he's more than suggesting it, friends. When Paul looked at himself, what do you think he saw? He saw his chains' imprisonment He felt his suffering in trials. He knew the wrong of his sin and the weakness within. But when Paul looks to Christ, he sings and he says, Christ is enough. Contentment comes from outside of us, into our hearts, through learning Christ. The word disciple means learner. Disciples of Christ, learning Christ, learning His love for you, learning that He is enough for you, learning, like we saw in in Psalm 16, it was a beautiful psalm. It's a prayer, really. Psalm 16, it's just a wonderful prayer to pray if you find yourself in a discontented heart. It's It's a great way to learn contentment, isn't it, really? It's the psalmist there, speaks about God, but of course we know that the psalms are Christological in shape, so they're, they're focused on Christ. So you could, you could read it like this Preserve me, O God, I knew and you won't take refuge. I have no good apart from you. You've yeah, got good things, but I've got no genuine, heartfelt, contented good apart from you. The sorrows, verse 4, who run after other things, who are discontent, what are they running after, verse 4? They're actually running after gods, idols. If you try and find satisfaction in something that's not Christ, you turn that into a god, into an idol. And, and what happens in verse 4? Their sorrows multiply. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion. He is my cup. The lines are fallen for me in, heaven, in pleasant places. And then we read towards the end. My heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Why? Because God has us even in death. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy forevermore. Do you you see this? At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do we believe this? Do we believe that with Christ there is pleasure forevermore? You won't, is the problem. You won't unless you look to him. You won't be content. I won't be content if I take my focus off Christ. I need the gospel to work deep in me, friends. I need Christ to work deep in me. I need to learn contentment in him. For at my core, at your core, is a thirst for that friendship with God that only satisfies. We were made with friendship with God. There's an old guy, he's dead now. We never got to meet him, but you'll meet him one day in heaven. And his name's Augustine. He writes a book about his life, he calls it Confessions. There's another one later called City of God. But in his Confessions, and he kind of speaks into these themes that we would think, well, Augustine's old, like, you know, like 4th and 5th century, what does he know? They were all good people back then, weren't they? They didn't have screens and devices and internet. Augustine had an addiction to probably the pleasures of the world and, well, to to put it uh, in uh, helpful terms, he was addicted to sex. He was addicted to his own pleasure He lived the way of the world, he was selfish, he stole, all sorts of things. He went to learn philosophy and thought he'd get educated and he'd be a better person. His dear mum prayed for him all his life. And when Augustine has the Holy Spirit turn the lights on and he's born again a believer, he writes his confessions and he says this, and it's really about him, it's also about us, this is true. He says, we are restless. In life, until we find our rest in Christ, we're restless. We're discontent until we find our contentedness in Christ. Because when you look to Christ, this is what you see. It's Psalm sixteen. It's what Augustine saw. It's what Paul sees and what he writes in Philippians. 4. look to Jesus, because it is Jesus who was brought low. It is Jesus who went low at the cross. It is Jesus who lost everything at the cross. It is Jesus who learns, who loses at the cross. At the cross, Christ goes to die for our discontented lives to bring us to God and give us satisfaction forever. Turn your focus to the cross. To Christ. He will not abandon your soul to Sheol, to death. And at His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, help us to learn Christ, to live content in Christ, for since He is the Lord, He lives. He's our shepherd. We pray that we're asking this that you, by your Spirit, would take this word we've heard and work deep in us today, this week. That we would find our rest for our restless soul in Him, that we would trust in Him alone. We need the Lord Jesus to truly be our shepherd. We need Him. And this we pray, we pray all things through him who strengthens us, through Jesus. Christ is enough. Amen. Amen.